0: Thank you all for joining our podcast featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Janssen and Dr. Skip Wren on the Neuro Noodle Podcast Network. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash that like button on Facebook. Today's topic, we're going to be answering listener questions specifically on panic attacks. What is it? How do you... Treat it, train it, etc. We're going to go over the news, and we're going to get—we got a couple of nice articles that the doctors brought up, and then we're going to get into the main topic. Move it along. Panic attacks, that's a popu- popular one, doctors. Dr. Laura, you had an article, a researcher proposes new theory on of consciousness. Could you please elaborate?
1: It's a complex article, and it came out uh, recently. He goes into quantum and non-quantum physics, and we about that here, I- except the, the point that's getting brought out by this recent article. He, he's a gentleman from uh, England. And what he's proposing is, bear with me on the the million dollar words here, but he's proposing that the electromagnetism house or the, where uh, consciousness originates. He gets into some dualism. It's another, you know, big, big word here, but he talks about instead of having a spirit or a soul, our consciousness is rooted in space rather than time. And now we're getting into all sorts of stuff here, but what is electromagnetism? I'm just going to make that easier for everybody. Electromagnetism is current moving through a system. If current is moving, electricity is moving, you're going to have electromagnetism. Electromagnetism is something that occurs in waves, oscillating waves. And so if you're looking, we've all seen maybe on YouTube, these little videos where for example, you, you play a note on an instrument, like a piano, guitar, whatever. You play a note on the instrument, and then they have these little ferrous uh, shreds, little uh, pieces of iron. They, they turn into picture. If you put them on a piece of paper and you, you strike the instrument in the tone, each tone has a different picture of the way these little iron Shreds uh, lie in the paper, and, and they're really cool. They're they're you know cool designs, and the, you know the the shapes are regular. You know whether they're they're circles or they're other kind of reflective kind of patterns. They're amazing looking patterns, and they're all different. For example, for each note on the scale, the musical scale. Point is that electromagnetism creates waves. Where I'm going with that is this is something that we're measuring with our EEG equipment. When we're doing our neurofeedback and we're taking pictures of is that these oscillating waves come from the uh, electromagnetism so electromagnetism is generated from our brain basically and so i think what he's doing and how it helps us is he's kind of validating hey that what we're doing has you know objectivity has merit and he kind of brings up these ideas that if we're talking about like artificial is there artificial intelligence that it might be possible to create consciousness using technology and that kind of goes off a deep end for me and, and i can't jump jump off of that right now but but it's compelling it's compelling ideas that you can create consciousness with physics in in kind of amazing stuff the other thing that's kind of maybe more in my wheelhouse or my uh, kind of understanding or appreciation is he's talking about how using brain waves can um, help with artificial limbs now that's the cool thing so if you have you know someone amputee and they've lost a leg or an arm or something and you put put the artificial limb on, they can control that with electromagnetism, with brain waves. And so they're they're using alpha wave technology, which is exactly what we're doing when we're doing neurofeedback. You know, when the kids come in to do neurofeedback, they're manipulating, so to speak, a picture on a TV screen, you know, watching Netflix or whatever. They're manipulating that with their brain waves. So, you know, research you know, takes that a step further into you can Use your brain waves to manipulate moving the fingers on an artificial hand. Now that stuff is cool and that stuff, you know, has has loads of purpose. So again, just kind of legitimizing what we're doing, I think that, you know, it, it's hard to get this concept of neurofeedback out to the masses because it it does, you know, kind of rely on these, you know, fancy work, you know, electromagnetism. What the heck is that? I mean, you know, train a patient in electromagnetism, the, you know, they don't have to understand it, hopefully, to, you know, find, find the true benefit in it. You know, the guy who's lost his arm, he doesn't care what electromagnetism is. He cares that he can, you know, use a limb that he's lost. It kind of, you know, requires a little bit of a leap of faith that, you know, science is, is getting somewhere and, and we're objectifying things that used to be based in time. That's talking about physics again. You know, there, there's these time and space continuums and things have been subjective. I'll say it that way to be more clear. Uh, subjective information is, is one way that we've performed as therapists and psychologists. But again, we have all the subjective things available to us. And, and it gets scary and gets um, kind of muddled in, in the terms and all of that stuff. But I, I think, you know, we can keep pushing forward and, and again, continue to find, find use and help people in all sorts of uh, different arenas.
0: Well, we'll have the link on the, on the website, neuronoodle.com, blogs, podcast. Dr. Skip, you had an article too, uh, interesting one, politics. Yeah, right.
2: I wanted, if I could, just to touch real quickly on something Laura said, and I think it's yeah. important people understanding and maybe even going as far as embracing neurofeedback, not to summarize everything you said into one sentence. We are talking about frequencies, and we're talking about you know electromagnetic waves. What we're really referring to again, just is things that are outside of our conscious awareness, right? We've been trained our entire lives to rely on our physical senses. You just can't pick up that stuff. And so it's hard for comprehension for one, you know, if we think about our even medical system, it's so focused on things that are observable and we're really referencing or trying to convince folks to do things that aren't observable and that's hard it's challenging obviously there's people that are open to it and it's some that aren't if we and maybe this is a different podcast but maybe if we um just you know consider what's available out there. And I think we're at a pretty interesting time in that technology is allowing for some of these things that weren't visible air quotes, right. To now actually be seen like, you know, everybody, you know, you and, and me and Pete have the ability in our office to make these brain waves literally visible, you can take a picture and look at it. I, again, I think it's exciting because of what's available for the opportunity to be able to let people see, which is so important for us. You know what's going on instead of them just believing us. And then the last thing I'll say about it is, there's so many other promising treatments that are available on you know top of neurofeedback that follow these principles of frequencies. Right, they're working with energy frequencies. And they're manipulating them, if, if you will, in ways that are just more efficient and effective. And there's, uh, I'll just throw out an acronym, but it's PEMF and it's pulsed Electromagnetic Field Therapy. And there's lots of different devices that actually utilize this. You can retrain the frequency of your body, for example, to kind of dovetail a little bit, maybe in today's talk, work with things like anxiety. It, again, retrain your body, whereas neurofeedback's going after the brain, Right. But you're retraining your body's response through some of these devices. And for one of them is a pad. And it's you know a five foot pad that you lay on, puts out frequencies that eventually trains your body. Definitely in line with neurofeedback, certainly, and how it works. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that in real quick because I couldn't bite my tongue too much. But again, maybe a another bigger podcast on just frequencies and fourth dimension stuff and all that you know quantum physics which yeah that'll be done with me in 30 seconds talking on that you know what i mean but it's a big big giant subject that folks i don't know embrace because they aren't aware of it
0: einstein would be fun yeah right yeah Uh, but back to the article real quick pete
2: yeah i'll try to make it brief but What the article is discussing, and obviously, um, well, I I think it's probably obvious, it's hard not to be obvious or aware of just the political divide that's been going on for a while, you know, for for years, for sure. You know, a couple last couple uh, election rounds, it's been pretty divided. The article approaches it with, hey, okay, so this is happening. Let's try to look at it and see, you know, through FMRI, which is a functional MRI, meaning you get to watch people's brain in action. Areas that light up give the indication that hey, that's the area that's you know, involved in whatever the person's doing. So they're they're looking at what's going on when people are seeing images, and they were presented with you know political ads, etc. The narrative center, the narrative processing center, meaning how you process information, is what was lighting up mostly for folks, and then that would in turn connect or inform. It, again the brain kind of works collaboratively in hubs and so then the amygdala gets involved and then it, again making this really brief but then there's an emotional reaction to something that is seen and heard and the idea with this divide is that that narrative center it becomes rigid and so you quickly tune in or tune out things that either fit or don't fit with your preconceived notions on how things are and that's i mean everybody can come up with their own examples of that for themselves, because I think that's how we operate generally. But more again, it's looking at it from a, a, as objectively as it can, a brain functioning perspective. And I would add and, and kind of loop back around to something we mentioned last week with uh, David Perlmutter and his book Brainwash. He has this idea of a defining disorder, disconnection syndrome is what he calls it. But because he's a functional medicine uh, neurologist, he looks at how our environment and particularly how our diets contribute to that rigidity so everybody knows a super rigid person in their life and everybody knows super flexible easygoing laid back people right those people exist everywhere all in a continuum he's just positing that hey our diet and things that we're exposed to because of where we live influence that as well and maybe to a significant degree so now I'm kind of marrying these two ideas or papers, but the one is, hey, we're looking at these people that are divided and here's what's showing up and, and here neuroanatomically is what's leading to this. Perlmutter's just throwing in, hey, there's more outside of the skull that's influencing why that's doing whatever it's doing. So that's that's me just trying to tie the two together, but it is interesting. It's fascinating and it's easy to pick on You know, political beliefs, because everybody uh, seemingly has them. We can do this in anything. We can just be rigid about certain ideas that we hold to ourselves that then inform how we act and interact. And that's probably Perlmutter's uh, approach. You know, we're talking about human connection and things like that. But again, you can come up with examples on their own of times when maybe you were stuck on an idea or someone else was stuck on on an idea and it interfered with your interaction or it became um, you know, a component of the interaction. And so that's where we probably come from uh, as psychologists, as looking at you know, what is interfering with things going like you would want to. And we just try to, I think, here, um, take as a complete approach as we can. And it's not just because somebody's a jerk. It's because it's the way your brain works, and there's things that influence the way your brain works. You might be a jerk, and you might be saying something jerky. There's, again, other factors than just, hey, that human being right there, you know, fill in the blank. Again, yeah, that's the approach that I think we're trying to take in, in treatment and our personalizer. I speak for myself, mine too, personal life is there's more to it than just meets the eye. This person yelling at you right in front
0: of you. Dr. Laura, you got any thoughts? Politics? The amygdala?
1: I'm, I'm going to kind of skate out of here from the, from the direct question. I'm going to go back to actually my consciousness guy from England. He, he quoted, I think it was uh, probably Mark Twain, but the, told me to that. But he said, Mark Twain had said, imagine being a bat you know can we do that and the you know the answer I guess is I don't know that any one of us can imagine being a bat. Like we're not wired to know what a bat feels like. And it kind of brings me back, I keep bringing Len Koziel to back in here. But Len Koziel had always said we're not wired to understand the concept of what happens to us after death. It's not in our toolbox and we will likely never get it in our toolbox, you know, this concept of death and afterlife and and, and things like that. We, we just don't have the, the, the tools. And so, I, I guess, when we're talking about politics, and we're, when I always think of it just kind of my personal views think of it of how, how we um, approach our sports team teams that we get behind. The objective person from another country who doesn't care about our sports will will look, you know, objectively say, yeah, that ball was out of bounds, but if it's your team, damn it, it was inbound, right? So so we have these, you know, biases, you know, all of that stuff is, is definitely, you know, based in our, our brain systems and our brain functioning and defensive creatures. And we're going to defend our team and we're going to defend our politician and right or wrong, you know, we, we kind of do those things. And and yeah, it's based in our brain, like, it's not coming from our toe, you know, it's coming from some, you know, where we, we generate these positions. So, you know, I guess I'm not, not really answering the question as much as kind of saying, yeah, everything is kind of you know rooted in our, in our you know uh, nervous system and, and its reactions. Sure. The, the other thing I want to throw in there is, you know, what what you know when Skip was talking about, you know, we're psychologists and we kind of tend to I don't know, have similar dispositions, I guess. And you go physicians and doctors and we take, you know, I don't know about Skip, I think we we were in the same era. Yeah, we we took something akin to the uh, Hippocratic Oath and it's wired in us to not judge. Who knows, you know, uh, who's coming into our office and we're there to, you know, help and heal and, and do best for people. So, you know, taking sides on a sports team, you know, it's just not what I do. I mean, in, in my personal life, you know, I can watch sports and I actually don't necessarily care. And maybe I'm female and there's a whole, a whole other talk about, you know, gender. But um, when I'm watching a sports team, if some guy does a good play, I don't care what team he's on. I'm like, yeah, go, go guy. Uh, anyway, I think it's our personalities that draws to the, you know, the helping fields. And so, you know, I think that has to, you know, factor in there as well.
0: Well, I think you care this week because you beat me in fantasy football.
1: And that's a funny thing. I have no idea that I did that because I haven't logged yeah, in. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, whatever. Okay. So Artificial you. Uh,
1: intelligence made that happen. But anyway, go
0: ahead. We're going to edit that out and post. Uh, Dr. Laura, The Relaxation Response. A couple sentences on that, if yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I'll
1: be short um, a book uh, for helping people who have panic attacks, which we'll get into, uh, is called The Relaxation Response by Herbert Benson. And I'm gonna guess this was—I haven't opened it up in a while—1975. Uh, so things have not changed in terms of how our bodies become relaxed, and that's the the Bible, so to speak, or the—we can call it a self-help book. But if, you know, people are struggling with anxiety. That is the book to get into because um, he has a basic—you know—one, two, three, four, five approach to assisting people with panic attacks.
0: All right, I'm getting it on my Kindle. All right, main topic: panic attacks. Here's the question: What are are they what causes them can, how can you treat them guys anybody can pitch in
2: well i always i always find it helpful to you know define things and that's your question too to, to at least know where we're starting right so panic attacks um, represent a few physiological responses and so you have palpitations um, you can have sweating dizziness um, it, chest pains, what quickly happens, you're going to have trembling. Folks start to notice these things. And one of the key, key components of a panic attack versus an anxiety attack is panic attacks seemingly come out of nowhere. If you develop a panic disorder, which is panic attacks over time, you might be able to discern more of a pattern but if we're talking about a panic attack to define it, it's like what's going on and why the hell is this happening to me? What often happens and certainly um, it's understandable, I think, but folks make attributions or try to make sense of what's going on. And one of the quick ones that I've heard about a lot in my office is I'm dying, right? Like what's going on here? And all of a sudden my heart's 120 beats a minute. Um, and I was just, you know, whatever, talking to somebody on the phone and so again the conclusion then becomes something catastrophic's happening which makes sense and it makes sense on a lot of levels but we're just you know referring consciously here it through that now we do go back into you know kind of our autonomic nervous system a thought like that will generate increased responses to the same things you're feeling right it's kind of a a cycle that would then happen. So then the panic attack perpetuates. Again, panic attacks over time are called a panic disorder, which is within the DSM. Anxiety and attacks just real quickly to hold them up next to each other tend to be about something that's anticipated. I'm going to speak in public. I'm going to the grocery store if you're agoraphobic, right? Those types of things are Uh, events that we're imagining will happen. And then we have the physical, physiological reaction and response to it. So just real quick to get a definition out there for everybody. Hopefully it's clear and makes sense.
0: Got it. Got it. Dr. Laura.
1: Received uh, biofeedback training back uh, a long time ago. Bio. So we do, we've been throwing around the the term neurofeedback. Yeah. There's also other term of biofeedback. So before neurofeedback was around, Uh, we were doing uh, biofeedback turns out neurofeedback is under the umbrella of biofeedback, but the the point is, uh, Bio is your biology, right? So we have equipment and have been trained uh, to use this equipment to read your physiological responses. So, so the point is, and Skip mentioned this, we have a a nervous system, and there's two two branches of the nervous system that we're talking about. That one turns on the fight or flight system, and one turns off the fight or flight system. It's just about like a light switch. Uh, when, when one system goes on, the other one is, is not on, but, but you can turn on the, the brake. You can turn up, basically turn off the fight or flight system. So, what's on this system when your system is on in defense? There, there's a spark of adrenaline uh, that kicks on. Let's say a bear is chasing you, and adrenaline kicks up, or maybe a, a alligator, an alligator. I don't see on TV. But it's, let's say an alligator is chasing you, a bear, whatever. Anyway, adrenaline uh, turns on this, get the heck out of there response. Uh, It's a chemical response. And interestingly, uh, adrenaline lasts about four minutes. So that's enough to get you up a tree or get you out of there, uh, hopefully. Um, And that adrenaline kicks on these physiological responses. So it's your heart rate, it's your breathing rate, it's your skin temperature, it's your blood pressure, the size of your pupils change, your digestion changes. Um, so everything kind of, you know, turns all the resources and energy onto your get the hell out of there response. So uh, with feedback, we we have all of those um, sensors. We can put a breathing belt around your abdomen and register on a computer how fast you're breathing. Same thing, we have sensors that can measure your heart rate, your temperature, the little sweat response, your, your uh, sweat change, the amount of sweat or moisture on your, your hands. Uh, changes under fight or flight, and we have uh, sensors that can measure all of those things. And so, when we're talking about panic attacks, we, uh, the relaxation response book by uh, Benson that I was mentioning, uh, he, he talks about how you, it is possible to control consciously your responses to things. So, learning to control your your breathing, for example, is a conscious thing you can do. And so, you be, basically we can all say, okay, everybody now hold your breath everybody can hold their breath because it's consciously something you have control over. And so back to the uh, nervous system that all of those, you know, your heart rate, breathing, skin temperature, they're all on the same line, so to speak. So if you turn one on, they all come on. If you turn one off, they all come off. And so it's, you know, just like the lights in the hallway. If I turn on one switch, they all come on, et cetera. So what we can do, if we can teach someone to will say control their breathing at a, a lower rate. We'll say and have the breathing even, and that's a tool someone will have in their toolbox for we'll say preventing panic attacks. And like Skip said, you know, a thought, you know, this is you know the world's ending because that's how you you think when you know bear's chasing you. You have that thought, and that that actually keeps the adrenaline pumping. So technically, adrenaline lasts four minutes, but if you're talking to yourself and saying, oh, you know, I'm going to die, and this is the end, and I'm going to miss my things and people, and and you you start uh, having those talks to yourself, you know, I'm having a heart attack. That's a common thought that people have. And and just to throw this in there, uh, you know, during a panic attack, if if you're saying I'm going to die of a heart attack, that keeps adrenaline pumping. But if you tell yourself something that's a little more rational, like, okay, my heart can beat 200 beats a minute." for days on end and I will not die of a heart attack, that might you know be useful information. Not during the panic attack, because we're very irrational during a panic attack, but you know, doing the training, the homework ahead of time to kind of you know preempt these things and say, okay, these are all normal responses. Um, it's your flight. I got triggered irrationally for no reason. Oh, I heard something bump up against the window. My initial response was it's a burglar. You look out the, the window. Oh, it's a tree branch. You know, once you calm yourself and say, okay, there's nothing dangerous out there, adrenaline will, will stop you know doing its thing. It will turn off all of these um, physiological responses. So so panic attack is basically you know, fight or flight system. It's a physiological response helping you get out of there. Unlike or or different from neurofeedback, which is unconscious, biofeedback is is conscious control. So it's something you can use as a tool, you know, mitigate these symptoms. And I've had people, you know, I I actually like working with people uh, with panic attacks because it is something that I can almost say that I've cured, air quotes, um, some people, like with, with the right information, the right tools, the right, uh, you know, people practicing and training um, don't have to have another panic attack. Again, it's completely possible to intervene with, with these met- methods.
0: Technology plays a role. These Apple Watches, the blood pressure cuffs, you get a, it's almost like a, you can get yourself, you can talk yourself in or out of a, a condition, right? Like you say, you control your breathing. Mm-hmm. You got the Apple Watch that could give you a false reading, then your blood pressure goes up. You take that. Oh my God, I'm dying. And then the adrenaline. It's like every four minutes, can you give yourself a shot of adrenaline? It just keeps everything going. It keeps going. flowing. It can
1: flow for, yeah, yeah, ever, it seems like.
2: Well, there's also what we do live with, and that's yeah, a dramatic term, but the b- bombardment of information. If we are, you know, my phone's three inches away, right? The information, because of the nature of information has to be catchy to get your attention. So it is sensationalized. So there's that. But again, that's probably a different topic, different day. More about prevalence and the the constant impact of things that aren't bears in your living room attacking you addresses or incites the same processes and therefore is reinforcing this system that Laura just did a really good job of describing with things like a, a line. If that's happening continually, just to directly answer your, you know, what you brought up, Pete, then you are getting hit every four minutes. What also happens, and now I am talking about, um, you know, devices, is people also get enjoyment from it, right? You get ups and downs. Um, you get a text. You get a, you know, do I have any emails. Now we're talking about dopamine too, that your body desires, and so you find yourself unconsciously reaching for your phone every 10 to 12 minutes because you're looking for a dopamine hit. We all can agree that Apple and Samsung know that that's how it works. And so they sell lots of these things. Um, But it's our system that is getting, again, repeatedly exposed to things from our outside environment. There's no uh, news station in my house, right? But I have access to it through here, so I get to bring this information And it has virtually the same effect as the bear, the crocodile, saber-toothed tiger way back when, or any other bad news you might get. You're fine. And then you pick up the phone and someone tells you something. Now you're reacting to something that wasn't in your environment. Again, virtually the same process repeated over and over and over again. And so if that happens over days, weeks, months, years, now your system's being altered to a way that maybe it's not supposed to. And to just fast forward, not to get too far ahead of panic attacks or give something, you know, people something to worry about. It's more just about awareness. Is over time our systems aren't built to do that. It's built for four minutes. It's not built for four years, 40 years. And you start to see the types of diseases that we see, which are directly related to inflammation. All the processes that Laura described create inflammation over time. If you're doing it for four minutes, then you're switching back to your sympathetic nervous system and that chills everything out and kind of drains things. Plus good sleep allows you to heal at night, et cetera. But if this is happening day in, day out, over and over and over, your body's not getting that chance. And so chronic inflammation does lead to uh, long-standing diseases like cognitive decline, the dementias and all kinds of other diseases. I'm not trying to, you know, again, spook anybody, but more the point is Chronic inflammation is tied to almost every disease that's out there, heart disease, liver disease, almost all of the cancers are, are brought into this picture, right? Because it affects the way our immune system can deal with these things, right? So everybody's like, oh my God, there's more of whatever. What is it? What is it, is it about that? And again, the world of functional medicine is coming back around too. It's our system that's not adapting to it. That's, that's what's happening. What's going on with our systems And it's this chronic inflammation that's not allowing our bodies do what they're built to do. And that's deal with adverse crap that's coming at us, right? There's bugs around all the time before COVID, right? All kinds of them. There's a flu every year that comes around and our bodies, you know, learn to deal with it through our autoimmune system or it doesn't, or it doesn't do such a great job, right? Again, just bringing in other things that impact what we're doing as opposed to things being singular. And I'll just, I'll stop there.
0: Is is the part of the brain that that is that the amygdala? If it is, what is it? I'm I'm sounding really smart right now.
2: Yeah, it's involved. I'll let Laura talk, but if I can do a super quick anecdote that I think's funny as hell, I went to a brain dissection course at Marquette, and I recommend it to anybody that's interested in this stuff. They'll take anybody, and you literally dissect human brains, and you even get to witness a craniotomy, which is what it sounds like someone's taken off the top of someone's head and extracting the brain quite impactful. I can still almost see it. So it's anyway, not- and yeah, that's, that's another thing. Yeah. formaldehyde gets old after three hours. It, it, we were at one of our labs and there was a guy in our group and that didn't really participate too much. Good guy. Um, but seemed like he would around if you know what I'm saying. And so the professor came around to our table and he's any questions. And this particular guy said, so what area of the brain is most affected by the cocaine and the professor just kind of looked and he pointed and he's, and he pointed to the entire brain and he said, this area right here. And he just wrapped his hands around kind of the whole brain. So that's my anecdote, but kind of, kind of answer to your question, Pete. Yeah, of course there's initial structures that I think initiate, but with this idea of hubs, so many areas are involved that we didn't really know before Technology was available to let us see these things, but I'll let Laura jump in because she's better. Yeah, talk
1: that. about the frontals, uh, striatal, thalamic uh, system. No, I won't. Um,
0: what? <laughs> yeah.
1: No. Basically, our I took the same course that uh, Skip took. Did you do it? Now my stomach hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our my so our. our uh, olfactory system uh, developed before any other part of our brain. And I could, when he first said that, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was a smell. But anyway, smell memory, right? Uh, What was the question?
0: (laughs) Amygdala, amygdala.
1: Amygdala, Right, right. right. So basically, our our brains developed from back to front. So we were a spinal cord before we were a brain. We were a a snake reptile before we were human, etc. So our brains develop from back to front. So the back of our brain is more animal than the front of our brain in essence. And so basically our emotions are in their instincts, right? So they come from the back of the brain. So the thing that supposedly makes us more human is we have a frontal lobe that can control, direct, rationalize, reason, etc. So so there's loops. There's loops from the instincts of our emotions, which is in the back, and there's the front part of our brain, which is you know, designed to control things. And uh, the front of the brain controls our, c- can help try to control our response to emotion. So if you uh, have a healthy functioning brain and you're not someone with panic attacks you're the the this loop from the front to the back you know so the front of the you know, the, the system can get triggered off you can like my example may be about um you hear something banging against the window your instinct is going to be oh crap someone's breaking in but the rational part of your brain can with someone who doesn't have panic attacks can kind of kick in and say wait a minute let me look out the window make sure you know, let me not overreact, so to speak. Oh, yeah, it's windy out, it turns out to be a, a tree branch, so it's fine. And so that person who doesn't have the panic attacks can can do that. So the parts of the brain, these loop structures between the front and, and the back, or I'll say between, so now we're talking about limbic systems and, you know, again, all these vocabulary, but a limbic system is, is a, a looped connection with the front uh, of the brain, frontal lobe and the amygdala, as Pete mentioned. So amygdala, there, there's actually amygdalae. It's left and right, but we'll, we'll keep this to the right side because that's what we see when people are defending themselves from the uh, in the environment. And so if I'm looking at a scan, uh, I'm expecting to see right side of the brain is, again, dealing with uh, defending in the environment. So I'm expect some uh, dysregulation on the, on the right-hand side of someone's brain uh, with a the right-hand amygdala, amygdala is, and I'm going to also expect possibly some dysfunction in the frontal lobe. But the point of loops is that there can be dysfunction anywhere across that path, whether, you know, is it exactly over the ear? Is it exactly over the, you know, the left eyeball? Is it a little bit over? You know, it's kind of looking at thumbprints. You know, sometimes you look at the, well, all the time, you look at these scans, everyone's got a thumbprint, but everyone's got a different brain scan and it's, uh, you know, moving target. It's a dynamic system. And so, you know, to Skip's point, yeah, what part of the brain, the whole thing, it's, it's a loop, it's, you know, connections, and it depends on what moment in time we're looking at it. So, but, but to keep it simple that, yeah, I mean, I can look at a scan and say, yeah, this is probably a amygdala issue, or I can look at a scan or it's probably a frontal lobe thing uh, in, in the loop and we can put sensors or, you know, put the uh, neurofeedback uh, program specific to those areas. And, and when people are doing the neurofeedback, that those are the parts of the brain that are getting exercised.
0: So when you do the brain map or the QEEG, what, what is it going to show that's going to give you the heads up, pardon the pun? that uh, somebody's got anxiety issues
1: quite possibly uh, most likely the the right hemisphere. Got it.
2: Can we do, can I do just real quick and it's back to Len, right? Good old Len. Uh, We've always been trying, you know, the things you hear about brain function and all that and you use 10%, et cetera. It's not true again, with this neural imaging, we can see these loops. And so, you know, the whole brain kind of works in concert, you know, some areas more than others. But there was always the left-right divide in that I think the right side meant you were artistic and the left side meant you were an engineer or something. And what Len showed us and, and fits into this anxiety piece, so that's why I'm offering it. But one side's for routinization and one side's for novelty. So if you want to think left side routinization, that's engineering, math, it's stuff that's kind of concrete, it it, it has patterns to it, whereas the right side, which is maybe the more creative, artistic side of the old way of saying it, allows you to be present and interpret your environment as it needs to be. Maybe with that understanding, you can see how anxiety would fit into there, or it would light up on the right side, because that's the side that's interpreting your environment. And if it's over-interpreting it, or if it's interpreting it in a way that creates a physiological response anxiety then that's going to light up and you would try to either train that down right or train up something else
1: yeah so yeah there's there's left right brain and uh yeah so the right hand side of the brain is dealing with the outside world the left hand side of the brain i'll say it uh simplistically is dealing with with your inside world so uh maybe that's the difference you're uh talking about with the anxiety versus panic attack so anxiety attack is is something that's it has become a routine where you're anticipating something happening because it's happened before, and that's more or less a thought or a routine idea. So that might show up as a left-hand issue, left left side of the brain issue, uh, whereas um, when you're dealing with, uh, we'll say, nonverbal uh, stuff or, or things happening right now, uh, that's going to be a right hemisphere. So... You know there's there's not one one pattern and we we like to try to do that cuz we're trying to communicate like we're trying to, I know I'm trying to communicate to a parent who doesn't you know to me we were talking earlier I don't care how my computer works or I don't care how my HVAC system works I don't care how my car works I care that the guy fixing it knows what he's doing so so if I'm talking to a parent, I'm gonna assume they're thinking a lot of the same thing. Like, okay, that's all fancy stuff, but you know, what, what's going to help my kid? Um, so I'm trying to, try to keep things basic, but but it's hard to say you know one size fits all or one one you know one pattern. You know, my kid is gonna look like the pattern of the neighbor's kid, and I think that's where the clinical aspect comes in to help you know kind of tease those things apart. But yeah, there's general patterns, and we can. Kind of go with that, but it's also important that we uh, have to fit the treatment to the individual. I,
2: when, if I could just add on that, I think, again, one of the benefits of neurofeedback in what it does is, is you don't have to be at the micro millimeter of, of wherever along that loop there might be a dysfunction If you get it in the area, neurofeedback seems to work because, again, the brain is learning ways to work more efficiently or maybe relearning, right? It tends to correct itself. And so, again, just to take it off having to be precise, not that we don't know what we're doing, but intervention itself is is pretty generous, in my opinion, in its benefits, right? Because it, it kind of pulls the brain along, the brain pulls itself along and strengthens itself. And I think somehow that therefore makes those connections stronger. And then maybe little uh, deterrence or detours even get corrected. Uh, that, that's just my interpretation. I yeah, that, yeah.
1: So when I'm talking to parents in my office, I don't use, I try not to use hardly any of this language. In fact, what, what I tell them is, and I, you know, preface it, but I don't care about the diagnosis. I don't care what label you put on this thing. You know, there's not a right. form in your brain that says, "Aha, anxiety attacks" or "Aha, depression." There, there really isn't. There's signature patterns, and you know, can categorize things. But again, there's all sorts of flaws and you know exceptions to all sorts of stuff with that. But, but whatever. It's, it's a general way of talking among you know, fo- you know, folks as we're trying to explain it. But. But when a parent's in my office, I'll just say, you know what, doesn't matter. I mean, yes, I can explain it in huge detail, but it, you know, just like I can explain how your car works, but do you really care when you're, you know, on your way to your next appointment? So, so I'll say, yeah, diagnosis doesn't matter. These areas are dysregulated. There's an expected dominant frequency for a a healthy brain, and we're trying to move it toward health. We're trying to move it toward normal or, you know, toward toward better functioning and a better rhythm. So if, if the rhythm is off, we're trying to stabilize it. And that's what I'll say. And so we can look at these pictures and say, hey, you know what? Uh, Hypothetically, the right brain should be, you know, dysregulated in anxiety. But hey, what about this little red in the back left? What's that all about? Well, I can explain it, but that's not the point. The point is, okay, it's not fitting the pattern or it is fitting the pattern, doesn't matter. We're, We're gonna get the right rhythm going for you. And that, you know, that kind of shortens the assessment and saying, okay, yes, I understand these are things that are symptoms you're seeing. Let's work at getting the rhythm straightened out and when we do that with our trainings, then you're going to notice, hopefully, that's the point, that those symptoms improve or symptoms that you couldn't put in, in towards are improving. I hear that a lot. It's like, okay, I didn't know I was feeling this. And, you know, after we get these trainings, wow, this this kind of stuff is better.
0: So we know what it is. We know why it's happening. What do we do about it? It's dysregulation. How do you get how do you get regulated again? What are the different options? So,
1: and I'm sorry to... Uh, it's probably Skip's turn, but let me kind of jump in. Uh, yeah, go for it. So I think this was a good point. You know, again, we're we're, we're marketing, or you know, we're uh, you know dis- discussing a lot about the neural feedback. So yes, again, we can change the the functioning and the patterns and the rhythm in the brain that absolutely you know can have an effect on these symptoms we're talking about. But the other thing that supports neural feedback, or as I was saying, is probably the umbrella over neurofeedback, feedback. Is the biofeedback, and again, that's using the sensors that measure and feedback to the individual, you know, breathing. So back to uh, uh, that's involved with uh, involved in it is the we, we get a, a belt and uh, we put it around your abdomen. And on the computer, what you're looking at, we uh, there's different graphics and can do it with movies and, and games and all, all the other things we have. But but the simple graphic we have uh, is of a balloon. And when you're breathing, literally on the computer, you're seeing the balloon expand and contract and in in rhythm. And so what we're trying to do, just like with brain rhythm, we're trying to get the breathing into a regular rhythm, a lower rate, you know, again, to the fight or flight dynamics that if you can reduce your breathing rate, your heart rate will come down, your blood pressure will come down, your skin temperature will go back to normal. All of these physiological symptoms will become in control. So we have a a breathing belt and you do you come in and you you do your you know trainings and it's the same kind of stuff you know maybe uh, once or twice a week to regulate your breathing and sometimes actually many times before neurofeedback we do the, the biofeedback techniques because it gets people kind of grounded into the to the work and it helps people who are kind of rushing in from whatever appointment or getting out of traffic and sitting in the office and and it kind of moves the neurofeedback forward if they start with biofeedback. So it starts with breathing techniques. And again, we can put a sensor on your finger, and, uh, measure your heart rate. And this is maybe for another podcast. We have a lot of other podcasts, I guess. But um, there are ways of syncing your breathing rates and your heart rates and syncing these things together. And when you do that and practice it over time, now we're talking about a specific training for heart health. There, there's ways to you know, put all these in, in super synchrony. Um, that's actually HRV training. It's one of my my actually personal favorite trainings to do because when you're done with that,
2: you yeah, me too,
1: taking a nap like you, you feel healthy and you feel like uh, you know you can you know keep going in your day kind of stuff. But um, anyway, so biofeedback is you know first and foremost in my mind what we do to address panic attacks because it gives the person control, and I think that's a factor that I don't know if you said it directly, but yeah, when, when the bear's chasing you, you are definitely feeling out of control, but uh, having these tools in your toolbox gives you a sense of control. And so, you know, going into situations or practicing ahead of time, you know, I would say, you know, practice riding your bike in the, the driveway before you get out on the street. You know, you got to do it ahead of time so that you're confident when, when the situation occurs that you're going to be able to have confidence to do it. So that's what you do about it. And, you know, again, neurofeedback uh, you know, is the other uh, hand in the glove.
2: I would I would agree. And in, in in my practice, when I'm talking with folks, and it's not always met with a lot of enthusiasm, but I always try to get folks to consider meditating or mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, that just makes it more palatable for you. Back to our examples of the phones and, and, you know, the onslaught of information coming our way. If the first thing you're doing in the morning is reaching for your phone and checking your newsfeed or whatever else you're checking, Regardless, and and again, no judgment here, but just looking at what that does is it's reinforcing that system that we were talking about that, you know, we're here about panic attacks today, but it's the autonomic nervous system that's getting excited. And if we are systems, which we are, then that system's getting reinforced. And so just practically what something like meditation or mindfulness can do for you first thing in the morning is allow for another system to develop. That's the opposite of the one that we met today to talk about, right? So it's a more calm, measured approach to whatever your environment's bringing to you and giving you more of a chance to just maybe wade through things in a more reasonable way. Um, than having your fight or flight system get turned on because it's so practiced at doing so. So I always try to talk folks into doing that. There's plenty of apps out there that are really easy, right? Back to using the technology we have. All you have to do is put your thumb on it and it'll get you going. There's a Calm app, C-A-L-M. There's Headspace, which I happen to like. And that's a nice one too. They do a great job of showing you through little animated clips, how it works. It's like watching clouds go by. So you're noticing thoughts. And they, they all just make it really easy. And there's a gazillion of them out there. But those are just two that I'm aware of and have used. And, and so anyway, that's what I would add. Therapy can help for lots of things too. Right? And the PMFs that we talked about, or I mentioned uh, at the outset here, again, is kind of a, a burgeoning uh, area of treatment. that can be really helpful too. That's probably down the road for some folks. But it, again, it can be really helpful with this frequency piece to help work on things out of the consciousness, right? So you're laying on a pad that helps your body relearn more effective or efficient ways of responding in non dramatic, traumatic, dangerous situations, right? So you're doing it in somebody's office and your, your, your body's just learning, learning in the moment's hard, right? The bear's chasing you and good luck trying to talk your nervous system down or you see a bear, right? And and to have your conscious calm self just go, hey, it's okay, he's a mile away. It doesn't work like that. So you practice outside of moments, right? You, you, you practice, you practice, and then you got the game. All these things
0: practice. So everybody's different. I get it, guys. But if you go the neurofeedback slash biofeedback route, how many typically, on average, I know you guys hate that, but... If a a client's going to come in, how long is it going to take them? How many sessions will it take to get back into regulation, if that's even the right term?
2: I know folks that say you start with 20, no questions. I know folks that say 30. I know folks that say 40. I would say it's somewhere in there just to get folks wrapping their head around this idea that, hey, this doesn't happen once. It is a couple times a week thing for about 10 weeks here if we're presenting something to someone. So I always try to lay it out that way. I will say this before letting Laura you know, talk from her side. I've seen folks with some pretty traumatic, significant brain injuries that you're talking 80, 100 times, right? Worked, worked with the guy that was in a coma um, six days, right? That's not a 20 session thing. He saw benefits in 20 days, but it didn't stick, if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. What about you, Laura, what do you do? Well,
1: uh, you know, we're talking about operant conditioning, which is reward-based learning, okay? And so, you know, my, my flippant response sort of is if uh, you're a guitar teacher and, you know, the guitar student comes in and says, well, how many weeks will it take me to learn smoke on the water, whatever? I, I don't know if the teacher can answer that, you know, uh, 16, five, two, you know, again so it's individualized. And so, you know, it's me still kind of running from the question, um, but, but people can see effects. I, I've seen people have effects, not, not, you know, locked in place and you're done, but I've seen people have effects in one or two sessions. I have. And, and, you know, that gives them hope and they keep coming back and they trust the process and they trust themselves that they can learn this stuff. So people can have effects right away. But again, you we're not talking about a quick fix thing here. That's the, you know, take home. It's short term, like, you know, it doesn't go on for years and years, but it's not a quick fix either. Like, you know, and maybe that's, you know, part of the problem in the question is, you know, know, how how long and how fast? Well, part of the problem, right? We're, We're trying to quickly fix things and uh, you know the take home hopefully is yeah that kind of be patient with the process patient with yourself and it's a lifelong thing that you're trying to get after but yes to, to what skip said you know 20 to 40 sessions i do have people who are in a hundred session right now we've done scans and i've seen people their their uh, scans are perfectly healthy and i'll say to them hey you know what you're you're healthy you can go home and <laughs> And they enjoy it so much they don't want to stop. So we're kind of arm wrestling sometimes about getting people to discontinue because they, the, uh, you know, maybe the psychological dependence kind of stuff. But uh, but that's how much people enjoy it and, and you know benefit from from the results. And we have people who don't have you know quite quite that response all the time. But you, you're definitely seeing seeing people uh, with changes.
0: You can get the results with a pill too, right? It's just that immediate. you've got to keep immediate, yeah. but you just got to keep taking it. Yeah. Take Xanax forever. Yeah. The, the right? quicker
1: the acting, the drug, the more addicting it is. Yeah. Right? So think about that. The, the quicker the acting, the anything, the, the more addicting. So yeah, Xanax is more addicting than something that's a slower acting drug. You know, a shot of whiskey is more addicting than uh, whatever, a coffee or something. But
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but, but that's, you know, the, the life issue, the cultural issue that, that we're, we're faced with, and people might have to make that paradigm shift, you, you know, coming to neurofeedback, and, and sometimes they're just kind of forced to because, you know, they've tried all of those things, or they don't want to be those medications, and and they might just have to kind of wrap their minds around, yeah, this is uh, can be, doesn't always have to be, but, but might be uh, a, a longer uh, training than, than, you know, the quick pill.
2: And it's ironic in that the quote, quick pill, it can be decades in distribution, right? You can take something for a couple decades. I mean, people do it. People talk to me about it all the time. What I've always, again, liked about neurofeedback, and obviously we're big fans, is while we discuss it affects the way the brain functions, It does seem to allow for a little more precision with this individual neurology that we're talking about. Everybody's brain's different, whereas medications don't allow for that adjustment. And so that can be why, I'm sure it's why so many people can have so many different reactions to medications, just basically, is it effective or isn't it? Um, They're more broad, medications in general are more broad of an approach to how brain functioning is proposed to work. Whereas neurofeedback does allow you to adjust on the fly. Like literally you're in your office and someone says, Hey, I'm getting a headache. And all right. So you adjust the threshold and they're like, Hey, my headache went away or you adjusted too much. And now they're falling asleep, right? You can't do that with meds. And so that's again, just another thing in favor. I want to reinforce something you said, Laura, and that folks do experience effects of neurofeedback. They can tell something's happened by the time they get to the parking lot. They can tell in your office when they're saying I'm having a headache, part of the neurofeedback training, if you will, which is what the sessions are referred to. If that's hasn't been brought up, another part of the training is a conscious awareness of what's going on. You're having somebody sit in your office and be in their body to be able to recognize, Hey, I think my head's work uh, getting a little hot on the left side and it might be turning into a headache. That's another part of the training, right? But, the model of neurofeedback is that you do need repeated exposure, operant conditioning to maintain those changes. So you can feel stuff immediately. It's just, you need a while for it to stick like any good habit right? Six to eight weeks. That's what we're always told with neurofeedback might be a little different, but yeah. So you just need time.
0: Oh man. Speaking of time, we're done guys. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we, had, we could go for another hour on this one. This is a hot one. Guys, thanks for taking the time. Everybody out there, please look us up at neuronoodle.com Dr. Laura Jansons, Dr. Skip Wren neuropsychologist thank you for, for joining us once again talking about panic attacks please give us five stars on apple podcasts and if you don't like us give us six stars <laughs> thanks everybody for joining us over over and out arrivederci
2: thanks pete thanks laura
0: all right